welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Joining us next on the ABCA podcast is Stowe Monroe head coach and Ohio Longhorns GM Aaron DeBoard. Coach DeBoard is another great example of someone who is positively affecting every level of baseball in their community. He has his footprint on youth, travel, and high school baseball in Northeast Ohio. Coach DeBoard has been the GM of the Ohio Longhorns since 2008 and head baseball coach of Stowe Monroe since 2015. He's worked his way up from every level of high school baseball coaching at Woodridge, Nordonia, and Akron Firestone High Schools previously. This episode is on how to positively affect the baseball community in your area. Let's welcome Coach DeBoard to the podcast. Here with Aaron DeBoard, head baseball coach, uh, Stowe Monroe Falls, and then GM of the Ohio Longhorns, uh, University of Akron grad. So Aaron, thanks for jumping on with me. No, thanks for having me, Ryan. Excited to uh, catch up a little bit and talk today. Yeah. Hey, what drew you to a life of service? Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I started coaching right out of high school. Um, I, I was a guy that wasn't really skilled enough to continue going on at the next level, but I wasn't ready to give up the game and uh, asked my high school coach about getting me in with uh, the local Little League and uh, Coach Dennis Dever from Woodridge High School and then Coach D instead said, why don't you come help us out? And next thing you know, I'm 16 years into being the high school team and uh, I, I'm not a teacher, so I work I work for a courthouse all day. So it, it uh, it's just an interesting dynamic and you know, I'm around different people all the time and I really enjoy do, getting to do both of those things. Do you feel like that's a mental break for you to get on the baseball field away from what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's time for me to go and enjoy and have fun. And, you know, I, like everybody else, you know, it's, you spend more time with those kids than you do your own family. So they become family to you. You know, it's, you know, I've got 60 kids at the high school, you know, that I, I care about all of them and to get you away and just gives you a different mindset of the day where during the, during the work day, I'm kind of dealing with things where you're seeing people on their worst days and hopefully, you know, at night I'm seeing people on better days. You know, um, how can somebody affect change in their own area? I mean, you're in youth, travel, high school, baseball. How, how can somebody affect change in, in their own area? 
Yeah, I think it's tough nowadays. Um, travel balls just become such a, a different dynamic now where it's, it's really hard to get people where you want to get them. And everyone's expectations, I think, have just become so, so high with everything you do that sometimes you just got to tell them, hey, it's, it's good to stay where you're at. You know, one of our big focuses lately has been trying to keep the Stowe kids playing in Stowe travel as long as we can instead of branching out to, to other bigger organizations. You know, we want to keep them together we want to coach them up on the way we want to do things. You know, we want to have one, one organizational goal from eight years old all the way to 18 years old. And the longer we can keep them with our coaches, you know, ideally the, the more of that, that info they're getting ingrained in them as to how we want stuff done. And um, it, it's really tough to, to get the, the kids in travel to stay locally nowadays. So everyone wants to go on to bigger, bigger, better things and, travel all around the country when they're nine years old, spending money on hotels they don't need to spend. It's a tough conversation to have. I mean, how, how do you have that conversation with a parent and just to give them the proper perspective? Because you've been around it. A lot of these parents are going through it for the first time, and they it's a keeping up with the Joneses thing. They, they see this, this, and, and how do you relay kind of, hey, here, here's a perspective you should have as a parent. Yeah, it's kind of tricky. You know, I think the best thing is just to give them the honest info. You know, obviously I've got my own travel program that I run, uh, but we want we want our kids to stay. You know, I think travel ball at high school is great. I think you go around, you play against other guys that are that are similar, um, get some different perspectives. But up until then, I, I don't see the need for 98% of kids. You know, if you've got the 14-year-old that the SEC is looking at, he probably shouldn't be playing in his local little league, you know, but most of us don't have that kid. So it's, it's just about over communicating with the parents and the, the kids and the coaches. And, you know, hopefully you're hitting them at such a young level that they're happy with what they're getting um, and, and that they want to continue to stay. That was our big focus this year. We did, we started uh, this past year, we actually ran our youth practices for our, our snow kids where we, we from eight years old all the way up to the high school, you know, till the, till 14, we had them on Wednesday nights. We were out at Kent State in their field house, and our high school kids were running them through our drills and our, our stuff. And, you know, we were kind of just there almost observing, you know, where our kids are the ones doing the coaching. And it was really cool watching them, you know, because without even telling them to do it, they're, they're using our lingo and communicating the way we want to communicate. And they can't, they can't see it, but the way they grow – when they're there teaching the kids, it was just really cool to watch, put a smile on your face. And, you know, then, you know, our youth coaches are learning how we want to do drills and how we want to, the pace we want to do things and all that. And then, you know, they take that back and, you know, hopefully that convinces them that, you know, they're getting good work and good coaching and they can stick around and not have to go branch out. How are the high school players? I mean, how are they communicating? Because you become a better player by, by trying to teach somebody else the game. But how are your players relaying that to you? Um, as far as, you know, when they're at those camps. Yeah. I mean, how, what was their reaction to having to help somebody else? You know, it's funny at first, I think they were all kind of annoyed about having to be drug out on a Wednesday night. Um, you know, where it said, Hey, we're, we're meeting out here and, you know, it's off season. So nothing's mandatory, but you say, Hey, you know, we really want this to be a point of emphasis, get out here. And we we're actually really pleased the first day. I think we had like 27 guys come out. It was all the older guys. So the guys you want there and, after the first day, every time we had more come, it was actually really cool. They, they absolutely loved it. I think they thought that it was going to be this big pain in the butt and they had so much fun with the little kids and, 
and doing the different things that they were, they were just really enjoying getting to see the kids grow and having fun. I think they were amazed at how good some of them were too. Um, but they had an absolute blast and, and they really liked it. They're already asking, Hey, are we going to do that next year? We didn't do any of it in the summer. And uh, we got really good feedback from our coaches um, at the youth level too. Their kids had a blast and loved it too, because they're around the high school guys. And one of the things we did this year was we, we, uh, we all got the same gear. So the, the, the youth kids had the same practice shirts and hats as the high school kids. And so they get there and they're seeing the, the guys wearing the same stuff. And they thought that was really cool. And it's been cool for me. You know, we go out, take my kids out to dinner and we'll see three kids, you know, on the way wearing a stow hat, riding a bike or, or doing something, which is just kind of fun for us. And did you keep a lot of the same stuff you're using with the high school kids? I think that's the, the, the best drills or the, the most simplistic drills that you can use with pro players on, on down to youth players. Were you using the majority of the same drills? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, nothing we're doing at any level here is rocket science. Um, you know, I think the, the most difficult thing we tried to do with them is, you know, we incorporated Coach Sheets' defensive drill series this year, and we tried to do that with a few of the younger groups. That was that was just the pace of that was tough, but none of the drills themselves were too tough. It was more so just I – think, I think that was the toughest part was, was getting everything we wanted to do done in the short period of time we had as opposed to their stuff. So we started to end up just doing different things every week so they could learn as much different stuff as they could. But they uh, – I don't think they really struggled picking up any of it, which was really cool. Really yeah, the cool. same the same catch play routine we had with our college guys. I would use with the with the youth camp. So they were doing all four corner catch, all the defensive yeah. throws. They were doing the same drills that our college guys. It does take time, but once they once they get it figured out, they're they're hopping with it. Yeah, no, and it's really cool now. Like I'll go out and watch one of their games on a you know random night, and they're stretching how we stretch, and they're throwing how we throw, and all those things we were showing them in the winter, you can see them doing and you can, they don't notice it, but they're getting better because of it. You know, it's we, like everybody else, you know, we, we put a big emphasis on coach uh, catch play uh, coach Duncan always, you know, I went and watched one of his practices a couple of years ago. And I remember him telling his guys championship teams play catch at a championship level. And that that's from eight years old to, to playing in the big leagues. If you can't play catch great, you're not going to have a good season. You know, you talked about Coach Deaver at Woodridge. Um, you know, what were kind of the things that stuck out for you? You get done playing at a young age, you're getting right into coaching. What were some of the things that stuck out to you? Oh, he was the best. I mean, he, he treated me so good as a high school kid. You know, like I said, I was never that superstar player. Um, so I, I was the one that kind of had to outwork everybody to get on the field. And I, I was really good defensively, ran the base as well, but I struggled at the plate. And, uh, you know, he just always found ways to get me involved in other stuff. And um, from the day I told him I wanted to get into coaching, he was gung-ho about it. He helped me start the Ohio Longhorns. He, he helped me get everything else going and get me really into high school. And then I told him, I said, hey, you know, I think I want to do this more than just, you know, part-time help. And then he helped me get more invested in it. And then I, then I got an assistant job where I was getting paid at another school. And a couple of years after that, I, I got a head job at Firestone High School in Akron, which was great and loved it. Um, lived in Stowe, was looking long term. I said, you know, if that job ever comes open, that's where I want to be. You know, it's where my kids go to school. It's where where I work. It's just kind of the perfect, perfect fit is three minutes from home. And kind of was always that that dream was to get that job. So it came open and, and he and my boss here at the court both uh, helped me with that. And. Uh, local guy, uh, kind of local legend right here, Chris Kazmar, Walsh Jesuit. He he was one of the guys that helped me a lot too. Um, 
with with that process just getting into the places I wanted to be and um they're all instrumental in me being where I am today so I'm lucky to have that around you talked about Jeff Duncan when did you reach out to him when he got into the area uh, almost immediately. So Kent's about, I mean, it's, it's about a seven minute drive from my house. So it's, it's the closest thing to us. So we use stuff there all the time. And I, I've, ever since I started coaching, we've been going up to Kent to watch their games and practices. I mean, even back to when coach Strickland was there, he used to run coaches camps where he'd invite all the local coaches in and we'd basically just watch their practice, get their drills and take stuff back to our teams, which has been great. But um, we're really lucky. Um, the Kent coaches throughout the years have just been so good to all the high school coaches. Same with the guys over at Akron. Um, but but just um, just very accessible. They invite us out. They let us come watch practice. Um, they let us be around the team as often as we can be as coaches. And it's been really cool because we're able to pick up things to take back to our guys and, and, and work. And uh, at our high school, we actually rent out their facility to practice in the winter because we've got a lot of varsity sports and we don't have room in our gym. So a couple of days a week, I, I, we pay to rent out their field house and usually we're practicing right after them. So I intentionally get my boys there early. So they got to watch the end of their practice and see the intensity and how we want guys working. And uh, really, really lucky to have guys like coach Dunk around helping us out. How are you maximizing space with indoor practices? I mean, obviously a field house, like you, 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 that's a luxury that a lot of high school coaches in the Northern part of the world don't have. So, I mean, that, that's unbelievable that you get to go over there and use that facility. Yeah. It's kind of just dumb luck. You know, we, we because we're too busy at the school, um, we, you know, our school hosts uh, regional basketball and we we've had a historically good uh, guys and girls basketball programs that are usually playing late into the year. And so for us, you know, we've got track um, boys and girls lacrosse, baseball, softball, and then usually the basketball teams all trying to share five hours worth of gym time after school. So I've just kind of decided, hey, we raise the money every year and we go off site and we, we rent out that field house three days a week and we get a ton of defensive work done. And then locally, our, our still youth baseball has a facility where we've got four cages and a mound and we can go over there, have real good hitting workouts and get some other stuff done. So when we're in the gym, it's tough. Um, at our school, I don't know how many high schools have it like this, but we've got an auxiliary gym and a, and a main gym. And in our main gym, which is big enough where we can actually do stuff, we can't use baseballs. Um, so we've got to be creative with tennis balls in there. Um, and down in our auxiliary gym, we've got one cage and not enough room to do defense. So it, it makes it difficult to do stuff inside. But you find ways to get creative and make games and do a lot of individual position work and drill work and um, just finding ways to – Utilize the space you have and make the most of it. And the key is keeping guys productive so no one's sitting around and having downtime, which is the field house is easy. But like you said, in the gym, it can be really difficult at times. Do you feel like your arms are ahead? Maybe, you know, you have a field house to stretch their arms out. Do you feel like your arms are in pretty good shape when you start playing because of that? A little bit, you know, it definitely helps with our, with our outfield guys getting to make those longer throws um, more so than anybody else. But I think a lot around here, a lot of guys do a good job of just, people air it out into, into the nets and gyms. And, you know, I think, I think five years ago would have been a big advantage for us, but now there's so many simple ways to do it. I think, I think everyone's kind of caught up and figured out ways to, to get around that. How are you communicating with your guys then during the year? Because you're not on campus. How do you communicate with the team? So we use, we use a team, uh, app called remind um, where I can send stuff throughout the day. It comes into them like a text message and it's nice because I can send it, I get the parents in on it. I get the kids in on it. 
and I can set it up where I'm just sending the boys a message. I'm sending it, you know, if I got a, a schedule change, I send it to everybody, um, whatever the case may be. You know, we send our guys to line up before lunch every day so everyone knows who's playing where, who's pitching, who's in relief, who's all that. So I can get that to them during the day without it being a nuisance. And uh, we, we really like using that app. We use that school-wide for everything. It's been awesome. Love it. How was the season? Season was okay. Uh, we started out real strong. We went down to Georgia. Um played well down in Georgia, came back and were rain slash snowed out for about two and a half weeks when we got back. We, we went down, played five games, then we didn't play for two and a half weeks when we got back. Um, and it just kind of really put a put a struggle on the season. And we, we did OK. Uh, we were right around 500. Um, our shortstop got hurt about midway through the year. and We went on a little losing streak when he was down, um, but we played good ball. We got better. We had a real young team this year. Um, we were. It, um, young in the sense of experience. Uh, last year's group, we graduated uh, nine guys that were three-year lettermen um, and, and basically played all the time. We, we only brought back two position guys that, that had significant time in the field last year and 14 total innings pitch. So it was kind of a whole new group of guys getting out there and, and getting after this year. And we were real happy. Our guys did a great job and they competed their butts off. Um, we just a little short, a couple days here and there. That was the the biggest thing coaching in the North is once you started playing, because you'd go down South, that was like your biggest dread was that we're going to get snow or rain. We're not going to be able to get outside. How, how'd you balance that? I think that's tough as a high school coach because you want them to get work, but, but you may play the next day. So it's like, how, how'd you balance that with their mound work? Because, okay, we might be able to play the next day, but then you go on an extended run. It's like, okay, they haven't been off the mound in a while. How'd you go through that? Yeah, we were pretty lucky in that sense too, where, where we do our, our indoor hitting facility, we can actually go live in the cages. So, so we were doing live pens all day, all, all from the beginning. We actually, I don't know how everybody else does it, but when we start tryout week we start live at bats day one so our, our pitchers are throwing to hitters right out of the get-go and um the, the toughest part for us was like i said we go to kent and use their practice facility three days a week and we do that kind of all the way up until our season starts um but then once the season starts you know we're, we're either outside or in the gym and it was so wet this year we actually only had one practice on our field this year which is you think about that for a high school team um, we got to do a lot of work in a gym and we rented out all kinds of indoor facilities and we rented out turf fields to get games in. Uh, but practice, it was really tough to get practice time this year. And that's just for our varsity, for our JV and freshmen, it was even worse, you know, just almost impossible to get them out on a field. You know, it's to the point nowadays up here where if you don't have turf, it makes it hard to compete. How's the Ohio State tournament work? Every, I'm intrigued by every state, you know, every state does it differently. How does the Ohio State tournament work? Yeah, so it's kind of cool. So last year they started doing it differently where they have these things called kind of super districts where 36 teams from – we're a Division One team, uh, which is our biggest division in Ohio. Um, so they have three different districts all in, all in one group. So they rank you 1 to 36, and you can pick your slot in any of the three different brackets, um, which is kind of cool. Then, you know, after those three districts play out, that those three winners get paired up with – um, the other half of the board, if you will. And one of the two of the teams play each other and one will play somebody from the other side and then kind of just windles its way down. So for us, um, we get paired up with uh, Canton, Cleveland area teams, um, which there's some pretty big schools and, and big time teams that have really been getting after it for a while. So 
anywhere you go in division one in any state, you're, you're playing good competition and it's tough. We, we ran out of the gate. We, we were lucky enough to get a buy this year, uh, but we ended up playing a uh, team from Canton area, uh, Hoover high school. And they had a real good left-handed pitcher going to Miami of Ohio. And, uh, he, he had a very good day against us that day. And we just couldn't find one of those days where balls, we hit hard, we hit at people and balls, they hit hard, kept finding holes. It was just baseball. You talked about fundraising. I saw. So bingo, is that, that's your biggest fundraiser is the bingo fundraiser. So for us, we, we do um, a reverse raffle every year. So that's our big thing is we do a reverse raffle fundraiser. Uh, that usually gets us anywhere 10, 12,000 bucks that we end up spending most of that on our a spring trip to go down south and then uh, indoor training. We also, I mean, we do all kinds of stuff. Anything you can do to try to try to raise money in high school. Hey, Leia, what's a reverse raffle? I've never heard of it. So what, what's a reverse raffle? So basically you, you sell 100 tickets to an event and pull numbers out of a hopper and whoever's last, whoever's balls in there last wins. So instead of trying to get picked, you're trying to avoid getting picked. Yeah. So how long does that event run? Uh, it usually lasts three, four hours one night. And, and we actually, we do that in conjunction with our youth program. So we do it all together, which is awesome. So again, just another good way to, to get in with them where we're getting the people and the faces and everyone together. So we, we, we establish that connection where they're raising money for their team. We're raising money for our team. And we have just a, a big night of all of Stowe baseball coming together. So you do a dinner with that. So you do food, yeah, dinner, drinks, silent auction, all kinds of stuff, sideboards, 50, 50, you, you name it. We try to get it out there that night to, to help out, but it's been really cool. We've been doing that about seven, eight years now. When did the light go on with, with starting the Ohio Longhorns? organization oh man so um it actually started when i was at woodridge so i was i was there helping out coach dever and, and he had a need for his uh bunch of his guys didn't have a summer team so we started a group um where we just coached for a year and, and then a bunch of other coaches started reaching out saying hey we like what you're doing we'd like to send some kids your way and then every year we got started getting we used to just have one team then we had two teams and then we started doing better and, and getting getting some recognition, and now now we've got ten teams, and you know we go compete with any of the other big teams in the area, and you know we're usually sending 15, 20 guys out to play college baseball. We're, we we kind of gear ourselves more towards the Division three kind of group. Um, not that we don't want the D one D two guys, you know, but for us, you know, most of those guys want to travel every weekend out of state, go do big big crazy stuff, and. Not that we can't do that, um, but we, we kind of have our focus on Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, um, Kentucky, um, as far as where we're going to tournaments, because that's where our guys are going to go play college baseball. You know, we might get one guy every once in a while that wants to go down south, and we'll find ways to make that happen. But for the most part, Ohio kids are going to be near Ohio, especially with how much good Division three and two baseball. Yeah, you're in the right cradle of Division three baseball right there. I was just in Cedar Rapids at the Division three World Series, so – interviewed both Bryant's uh, Baldwin and and then Marietta and you think about the the amount of good division three baseball that's going on in the state of Ohio it's a lot and I even looked at Denison College coming out of out of high school it's just so good the baseball is so good in that area oh it's awesome and all the d3 coaches are great too I mean they're all around at the games they're good to our kids they're good to us um you know I was just we were at Baldwin Wallace this past weekend while playing games of their field while they're out they're out there in Iowa. You know, it's 
we're really lucky. And the kids don't realize how good Division Three and Two baseball is. You know, they're like, oh, I don't want to go to Division Three. It's like, man, if you go, if you go watch a Division Three game, that's big time baseball, especially around here where we're like you said, we're really lucky. We can go watch teams like them, Kent, um, Worcester, a lot of guys right here close to home, where we can go within you know half hour and, and watch great baseball. Plus, the education is different. The you know the social aspect is different. There, there's a lot of benefits to Division three athletics because one talent wise, Division one's not for everybody, but the the twenty four seven of it's not for everybody either. And you get you get the best of both worlds at Division three because you have competitive athletics, but then you also get the education side of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think Division three baseball is great. Um, same with junior college. You know, I think any of these opportunities that are out there for kids, um, you'd love to see them take advantage of. You know, we lost a really good junior college by us. We, we had both Tri-C and Sinclair went under. Tri-C's back now. Uh, but I know, you know, me, like everybody else around here, we definitely miss having Coach Dins and, and Sinclair close to home where we can send guys that, that want to go that route. We've had a couple of Stoke kids go there and play, play for him um, that absolutely loved it. So a lot of different opportunities. I think it's important that families just understand there's a lot of different routes you can go and your path doesn't have to be what, what you think it is right away. You know, at some point you're a product of who's recruiting you. If a bunch of D3 coaches are calling, you're probably a D3 guy and that's okay. Um, you know, but the key to it's just understanding where you fit. You know, one thing we try to do with our Stowe kids and our Longhorns kids is making them understand that there's no you know, right or wrong. Nothing has to be an absolute. You know, you, you can go out and find just because you, your dreams to play at Ohio State doesn't mean playing at Ohio Dominicans a bad thing. You know, you can go out and have a really good, good experience and careers about finding a coach that, that fits your style and wants you to be there and, and that you're going to go have success at. You know, we want to avoid finding guys into the transfer portal, which nowadays seems impossible. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to fix it. I don't know. The, I don't think the toothpaste is going back in because it's just we have a lot of those conversations here in the office about it, and I just don't think it's going back in. And, um, you know, it's 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 just tough because you see it over and over and over again, and you see it at, at the higher levels now. You get some of the best kids at the better programs are leaving those places too. So it's it's amazing to think of where we've gotten to. But, um, you know, how are you? I mean, you have a benefit of coaching high school, but also running a travel team. So, so it's basically streamlined that communication piece for you. But how do you feel like high school and travel coaches can get on the same page? Because it really is about what's best for the player. Yeah, you know, I think it just depends on where you're at. You know, for me, um, some coaches want to, they all want to do stuff differently. I think it's just about communication. You know, for I get along with the other guys that run travel organizations around my area. I think a big part of that's because I am a high school coach and my most of my kids don't play in my organization. I want them to get other other voices. I want them learning from other guys, you know, right in our backyard. Uh, we've got a guy, Alex Marconi, who used to be a Division One coach. Running a travel I coached Alex, by the way, in the Cape League. <laughs> Did you, that's <laughs> awesome. But no, so, so, so two, two of my assistant coaches coaching Alex's organization, you know, and, and we have guys that go there and play. And it's just about being on the same page and understanding what we want. You know, my kids, I have conversations with all their travel coaches. Hey, this is what I, I think they need to work on A, B, and C. I want them doing this. And, you know, at the end of our high school seasons, or the end of our summer seasons, I try to give that same feedback to the, the high school coaches. Hey, you know, 
Joey did this really well. He needs to work on this. I think that these things can happen. And I think if you're willing to have those open communications, um, that things can work out good. But now everyone wants to be the guy in power. Everyone wants to have that final answer. Um, and I think that's part of the problem with the transfer stuff is when you don't find what you want in a travel team, you just jump ship to the next team. You know, and, and these kids are all used to doing 10, 20 different teams when they're younger that jump and ship when they're getting older is not, not out of the norm. That's why we put such an emphasis on trying to keep the Stowe kids in Stowe travel. I want them, you know, learning what to do. You know, we, we had a big point of emphasis. We wanted, we wanted to get our youth program better when COVID came around. We said, we got some time. We, got, we, we don't have a season for us. What can we do to make it better? So we said, we want to go look at some of the better, better high school teams in our area. Which coaches and organizations do you think of that do things really well? And uh, Bill Gamble at Jackson High School and, and uh, Tom Marker down at Lontangy Orange have built really good programs. So we wanted to be more like them. So I I went and visited with them. I picked their brain. I went to some of their youth meetings and I, I talked to their guys and said, what do you do? What can I bring back? And not everything works to, to, to bring back exactly, um, you know, but something Coach Gamble always said was, you know, invest in your youth, invest it in your 401k, it's your future. The more time you put into it now, the more it's going to pay off later. So we've really, really just pushed with that. You know, we, we go to, we've got monthly coaches meetings with all of our travel coaches where we teach them the different aspect of something we want to do, whether it's, you know, we want our guys doing the pack offense like Coach Deeks teaches. We want our guys doing the, the momentum base running like Tallarico teaches. We want them doing the one pitch warrior stuff like Coach Deemer. You know, so we go over that stuff in our, our monthly meetings with our youth coaches. And they take them back to their guys and it just continues to build. And hopefully by doing that, you know, they get more consistency. And I think there's a lot of good people around right now trying to keep travel ball in a better place, you know, but the, the, if we can keep it in a better place, then I think we can, I think as that goes, that'll help college baseball and high school baseball. All, it'll all fix itself in a row. What are some things you're doing the same from when you started? From when we started the Longhorns, so and also know, we, high school, both. I haven't changed much with what we've been doing, to be honest. We, we've kind of found a path we like. Some of the stuff with the ways we teach things are different, but as far as our goals and our our what we want to do and see, we keep the same. You know, we we want our guys to be local guys from good programs we trust. Um, you know, we want we'll take what we want kids with good families that are enjoyable to be around. You know, we, we spend a lot of time with everybody, so we want to have a good experience for everybody. And we don't want to travel all over all over the country when we've got so much good baseball and good good stuff right here at home. So we've kind of made that our focus, and that's been something that's worked really, really well for us. Um, we also put a high emphasis on academics, uh, high school and and with the summer program. You know, we, we had a kid call us last year and said, hey, I, I hear you can help, help guys that have high ACT scores get into college to play baseball. I said, yeah, most people can, but we can absolutely help with that. You know, but I think by placing importance on, on academics, you, you get inherently, you give kid coaches trust in a kid's ability to, to show up, to get things done. I, th I think GPAs for college coaches has more to do with, can I trust this kid to go get his work done when I'm not babysitting? You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a telltale sign that, that kid's going to be dedicated to his job when, when, when I'm not over his shoulder. Yeah. And they don't want to babysit. They don't no. have to babysit. No, so I, like it. And you said it like you're around them so much. You don't have to babysit somebody. 
Yeah. And I'll say it's it, one of the tougher things for me as a high school coach is not being in the building. You, you don't get to be in the building, seeing them in school and, and seeing all that stuff. And I'm lucky where I've got a lot of really good teachers at the school to communicate with me during the day and keep me in touch. But when you're not there with them, it, it's, it's tougher to, to get some of that that same experience that you, you would if you were in the building all day. You talked about some of the teachings baseball wise, you know, what have you changed uh, along the way teaching wise things that, that you've changed? I think we, we've become a lot more willing to communicate. You know, in the beginning, I think it was just that this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. We're doing it. You know, now it's, we spend a lot more time explaining the why um, we want to explain. This is why we're doing it. This is what we think. I think this drill will help you because you struggle with this. Um, where I think now we're in a society where the kids, they're, they're all going to so many specialized coaches that they see right, they see right three when that you don't know when you can't explain to them why you're doing it. And sometimes if you can't explain why you're doing something, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Um, so I think that's been the biggest, the biggest change is just having to, that communication piece where that they want to know why they're doing what we're doing. I think that's a good thing. I, I think it's made, made me a better coach. And I think it's made all of us better coaches where we've had to be able to explain the ins and outs of exactly the whole part of the process to the guys. And that that's like having your high school kids work youth camp because you have to clarify what you're doing. You know, it's, it, yeah. it's great when you have to start writing things down and clarify what you're doing. Cause it makes you a much better coach. And with this generation of kids, they, they want that piece. I'm working youth camp this week and same thing. You're seeing it like that. As long as you explain what you're doing and why you're doing it, they're going to be fine with it. And I was yeah. thinking about that today. I've been working youth camp since I was like 12 years old and the kids I haven't, they're not any different than, you know, than the kids that I was working with as, as a 12 year old, 35 years ago, the kids are, they're still the same. Yeah, no, I think one of the cool things, too, is when you're watching your kids teach some of the drills you do, sometimes they even explain it in a way you haven't thought of doing it that makes more sense. Um, it was kind of cool. I remember watching a couple of our drills and, and the way they were explaining it to some of the little kids. I said, man, that, that that's a great way to explain it to guys that haven't done the drill before. Um, and it, one of the tougher things for me this year was because I had so many guys that were on. I had, I had all those guys that were on my varsity team for so long. We had a whole new group. So we got into practice day one. Some of the stuff I just kind of took for granted that we knew how to do it. It's like, all right, I got I got to spend some more time explaining and, and, and understanding instead of just rolling right in and, and getting to work. Um, but that was fun. It was an enjoyable thing. Um, you know, you, you want kids that want to learn and be eager. And we tell them questions are good. Questions means you're invested. You know, you, you want to get to get to know. Um, the other thing I think that's changed a lot is we spend a ton more time uh, in the classroom and working on mental game stuff. Um, that was never something we really did uh, before a couple of years ago. Um, and now, you know, we're doing classroom sessions three, four days a week at practice. Um, we, we do a lot with Brian Kane stuff um, where we've got our kids. There's three or four podcasts I haven't listened to every day. None of them are long, you know, two, three, four minutes. Uh, but we've got guys that, that, that they're, they're listening to that I think make us better than we talk about it at practice, you know, and, we're, we're in the classroom doing PowerPoint, showing them what we're going to do that day, where maybe it's just going over something simple like a bunt defense, or maybe it's something more in depth, like a offensive concept. But I think showing them that is good. And um, we, we give them all accountability partners where they've got someone that on the team that they're, they're kind of responsible for each other. And we used an app called Habit Share this year where we had six, seven, eight things we wanted them doing, whether it's to listen to this podcast, that podcast, spend time with their family, get their homework done, 
uh, whatever, whatever it may be. And they'd share them with their accountability partner with me and I'd share mine back with them. And it was kind of cool. I'd get a message from one of the guys for practice and say, Hey coach, you haven't listened to the podcast yet. And it's like, no, you're right. I got to get on there. And it was really cool having the two way accountability, but I think that doing all the mental game stuff really made a difference with our team. Um, they, they believed in each other a lot more um, than, than in past years. And it just really gave them the belief that, you know, if they had the right mindset, things could be better. And it, it really makes a difference. I feel like that's why coaching is so much better now. The, the classroom sessions that everybody's using, the mental game, peak performance stuff that everybody's diving into. I think that's why the game's in a great place now because it's just stuff you didn't get when I was coming out. And I had to find all that stuff on my own. And it helped me immensely as a player and, and a coach. But you're, you're lost. There, nobody was really talking about any of it back then. And, and it's a great community now because everybody is talking about it. And, you know, going back to, you know, with, with – I don't think you can take anything for granted with your guys every year. And that's why at the big league level in spring training, they're, they're doing PFPs, they're doing pickoffs, they're doing all the stuff just as a refresher. And even as kids get older, I think certain things are going to speak to guys differently as they get older. And I, just from a retention standpoint, I think that's, that's what you have to do as a coach, just assume that guys don't know anything and just keep, keep retouching it. Oh, absolutely. I think Twitter has been great for that too. You know, like, I think as coaches, one, I know one of my favorite things every year is the, the hashtag ST drills that you're just sending to your guys and stealing ideas. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've, how many times I've sent a kid the video of Ron Washington hitting, hitting little short hop fungos to, to guys, or I can't remember his name, the coach from the Orioles talking about first base, you know, just little stuff where we, you send the videos to your kids and they watch it and they're like, oh, that is the same stuff we do. Maybe we should do that. And it's, it, it's pretty cool getting to see them uh, see those things. And it definitely has made us better the more the more you share. And one of the coolest things about our community is just everyone's willing to share with everybody. Um, you know, no one's hiding things. You know, there's nothing we do that we haven't taken from somebody else. You know, we started going to the, the state clinics. And Ohio does an awesome job of putting on a state clinic, like I'm sure a lot of other states do. But we've got a really good group of coaches that come in every year. Uh, Coach Beals invites us all down to Ohio State when we're there and we go and watch practice and get to feel some stuff out there. And then, you know, lately we've been coming the last three years. I've gone down to the ABCA clinics, which have been awesome. And I wish I would have gotten started on that a little bit sooner, probably like a lot of other people, um, you know, but the barnstormers even have been awesome. You know, I've gone to three or four of those that you guys have had in Ohio and um, just there's so many more resources out there if you're willing to put the time in the, to go find them. Is your younger brother Mike still in the game? I wish. I keep trying every year. So Mike, Mike played Mike played at the College of Worcester. He's got he's got two little boys right now, and he's working full time. So every, every year I kind of try to convince him to come and coach. He lives about fifteen minutes from. It's funny. He uh, so his his wife teaches at Nordonia High School, which is a team in our conference, and so he'll come out and watch the games when we play them and. Their coach, um, him and his brother grew up playing with us too, so it's just kind of fun. But no, Mike's Mike's around a little bit. His, his son's playing t-ball this year for the first time, so maybe that'll get him back in a little. Well, bit. maybe this will nudge him to to get back in. Maybe he'll listen to this, and that'll nudge him to get back in. I try every year, so we'll, one 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 of these times maybe he'll say yes. My my guess is as his boys get a little bit older and they start playing, he'll he'll get back into it a little bit. Maybe maybe the time will free itself up a little bit. 
I mean, how was your guys' relationship growing up? I mean, I think it helps to have uh, a sibling because I think it makes getting your activities and playing in the backyard, I think it makes it much easier to have a sibling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we were always close growing up. So he, he's a couple years younger than me, two and a half years younger. And we're, we've actually got two little sisters, too. So we kind of we grew up at, at a field almost every day somewhere, um, whether it was me or him or one of the girls doing something. And we, you know, nowadays, you know, everyone's just playing video games and hanging out inside. But I remember summers growing up, you know, we had 15 or so kids that lived in the, the allotment we lived in. And every day we'd meet up at the cul-de-sac with the same group of kids and would play baseball with the tennis ball. And I remember keeping stats and having a blast and spray painting bases in the street and, uh, you know, have, having him around growing up was playing. It was cool. My senior year of high school was actually his freshman year. So we actually got to play one year together on varsity, which was really cool. And not, not at the same time, because he was better than me as a freshman. He, he was batting third and starting catcher and I'm batting eighth playing center field. And, uh, but it was really cool getting to do that together when we were young. And we always played for stuff. I mean, we were right brackets, same thing. Like you're putting a tournament bracket together. And my brother still does that for a living. He's putting high school travel tournaments together and writing brackets. And, you know, you think about all the stuff you did, but it was competitive back then. You know, it wasn't just pickup stuff. You're playing against somebody else. You're out in the backyard competing against each other, but it was competitive. But I, who knows if we had phones back then, I, who knows if any of us would have been out with our buddies either. Obviously we grew up in a different time, but I think about that a lot too. I don't know if any of us would be any different than this generation of kids from an, a technology standpoint, if we had all of it back then too. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, we see it with our real young guys, you know, our six, seven, eight, nine year olds, they're still out running around playing games every day, doing crazy stuff. Um, you know, but the older guys, you know, once they start, you're right. Once they get the cell phone, they, they're almost, locking into cell phones and video games and, you know, trying to find a way to get them out more is tough. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? Oh, I should have prepared for this. You ask everybody this and I didn't think about it until now. That's all right. Everybody's got to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) No no kidding. So, um, you know, I, I think a, a fail forward moment for me was just, you know, there, there was a, a time early on at Stowe where um, I, I, I was trying to do things my way stubbornly and I, I just was refusing to, to give in to how, how some things needed to be. Um, and we were struggling because of it. Um, once I finally, once I finally was willing to, to say, all right, we need to do things this way here because this group of kids can't do what I want them to do. We got to, we got to start attacking in a different direction. Um, you know, once I was willing to do that, I think we really changed the corner and we've been, we've been on a good path since, um, you know, so that that's really made a big difference uh, for us is just being willing to, to try new things and be open to other ideas. What were you asking them to do that they couldn't do? It was just, we just had a group of kids that I wanted to play a really aggressive kind of style where we were running and hitting and running and doing kind of stuff like that. And we were, we just weren't built to, to get, get the job done that way that, that year. Um, and, and we ended up, we struggled real bad. We started one and nine that year. Um, and then we started changing how we were playing. Um, and we ended up going on a 17 game win streak and making the final eight in the state. Um, you know, so it just kind of, it, it took that, that, you know, kind of me and my coaches came together and we say, Hey, we got to change what we're doing. What's the issue. And, 
it just became a different kind of style we had to play. And once we did, it just kind of clicked right away. And then it just got to be a real fun, real fun thing where they just kind of found a way to get it done every day. It was awesome. Well, and winning's fun. And that that's part of adjusting on the fly as a coach. I was the same way. I wanted to play aggressive and put pressure. But if your guys aren't capable of doing that, then you've got to try to put them in a position to be successful. And that's part of good coaching. Yeah, it, it's just being being willing to adapt to something that I think all of us struggle with at times. And, you know, we, we've got, you know, we, we're all putting so much time into a plan and how we want it to go that when it doesn't go that way, having to adjust can be difficult at times. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any evening or morning routines? You're busy. I mean, you got you got a hectic schedule. Right, do you uh, carve out time so, for routines? I mean, you talked about habits. I mean, that that's part of building habits is routines, but. I, I, I need to be better about it, you know. So in the mornings, I'm usually getting up and getting ready. And you know, some days I'm taking my kids here. Some days my wife is, you know. But I get to work by about seven, seven thirty every day. So I'm not doing too much before work. And then in the evenings, um, you know, when it's not baseball, when it's not uh, game day, you know, I'm, I'm usually going grabbing my kids and driving to a field to watch a game. I think my girls and me go to about three, four games a week, whether whether I'm coaching or not, where we're watching whether it's one of my eight-year-old Stowe teams or one of my high school kids playing playing locally. And we're, we're lucky where a lot of the games are close. Um, we've got a lot of close high school fields to us. And so I can usually find something to do relatively quick, but kind of make it a goal. I want to see every kid, kid in the organization at least two or three times a summer. So I want to go see the eight-year-olds play two, three times. I want to see the 10-year-olds play two, three times. And I want to make sure I see my freshmen play two or three times in the summer, you know, and that's, that's tough to do. And I'm lucky. I've got, I've got a wife that is just amazing and lets me, lets me go do all that stuff and helps make it all happen. So that that's a big help. What's your youth game schedule as opposed to practice schedule with your young bucks? So we try to keep them practicing as much as we can still. I, I'm kind of lucky where this past year, um, I've been on the, the youth board for a few years, but I finally got on the travel side of it. I, I'm one of the guys on, there's a committee of four of us now that plan the tournament schedule and the practice schedule. And we, you know, I think practice is a, a lost thing with travel ball now where everyone just wants to go play in tournament all, all weekend and they want to give them Mondays off and play a game on Tuesday and, then go rest up for the tournament again. You know, I think it's important to keep the kids practicing as often as you can, because that's where you're really getting better. You, you have to be able to make adjustments from what you did in previous, previous weeks where you can, you can see what you need to work on. And if you can't go work on it, it makes it tough. So. The, and you the need a non-competitive environment at times, especially for the young kids, they need to have a non-competitive component to be able to work on their skills still. Yeah, absolutely. And they got to be able to learn to fail in a setting where they're not hanging their head when they fail, yes. you know, because, you know, in baseball, if you can't deal with failure, you're going to struggle. So for having those competitive practices where you can fail, but then show them the positives of what's happening and, and get them back in a positive light. I think that's really important, especially for the younger guys. So many, I'm sure you've seen some of these videos out there. You see these coaches just reaming into these seven, eight-year-old guys. It's like, I don't know what we're doing, but we, we've got to be better. Those kids aren't going to be playing two years from now. They may not even play next year. Like it's, no. you, you can coach without berating. You can coach and, and communicate without being aggressive like that. And yes, and it's okay to be passionate, and if that's part of your personality, but you have to, again, at the end of the day, you have to figure out what's best for your players. And kids are going to shut you out now. 
you know, they, they just are. That's just part of it. And, um, and, and they do internalize so much more. You know, and I, I think that's maybe one of the differences now is, is kids internalize things a little bit more than what we did in, in our generation. And so if, if you're screaming at a kid, like, they're going to wear that a lot more than, than when we were growing up. That's maybe one of the differences now with kids is, is they're going to internalize things a lot more. No, I agree. I think all of us as coaches, we, we've, we, we always have loved and cared about our kids, but I think now it's important that we, we make the time to, to really get to know them more and, and make sure they, they know that you care about them, you know, because if they don't, they don't know that you care, they're not going to give you everything they got. So I, I think like everybody else, we're just, we're, we're trying to, to love them up and, and find ways to be positive. A big emphasis we had this year is we wanted everything to be positive. We, we, you know, we wanted to eliminate negativity. You know, if something bad happened, we'd just say, so what? You know, so what? Move on. And, you know, it's kind of the, the mantra. We had, so what? Next pitch. And didn't matter what happened. Didn't matter if it was a bad call. If I didn't like it, if the kids didn't like it, if it was a tough strike, whatever it may be, you just, you got to move on and get past it and find ways to, to deal with things productively and positively. What are some final thoughts? You know, um, really enjoyed getting to catch up a little bit today. Um, you know, it's it's kind of cool getting to to do this. I've been listening to these things nonstop for the last couple of years. It seems like I get on the mower and turn one on, and uh, next thing you know, you're caught up on all 300 of the podcasts. <laughs> and it's uh, you know, it's, it's it's just really cool. We're really lucky to be in an area where you know coaches communicate like they do and like even getting this connection with you just kind of happened through coach Duncan uh, which was really cool he was there watching what we were doing one night so man I got to get you and Ryan talking a little bit and you know and everything we do I like I said I I took from coach Gamble and coach Marker and you know we're just ran with it and trying to find ways to be better you know I think I think the biggest thing I I I pass along to people at the high school level is try to keep your kids being locally as long as you can let them be kids. You know, the kids don't need to go travel all these crazy places. And I think that because I have my own travel organization and I still tell the parents, Hey, no, be here, be local. Don't do that. Don't go around. I think that means more to them because they, they understand that I'm being genuine with it, where I say, Hey, I want you guys to stay local and do these things. There's, there'll be a time where you need to, to branch out, but until that time hits for you individually, stay home, save money and, and, and learn the game in the way that you need to learn the game. And they're developing lifelong friendships with kids that they're around all the time. You know, that, that's a big piece of, of the younger generation continuing to want to play is they're developing lifelong relationships and friendships with, with people that are in their area. Yeah, I, I would encourage more high school coaches to get more involved with their youth. And like anything else, it's time and energy and effort. But I tell you what, the more the more time we've spent, the, the more they come around, the more they do things. And it's really cool seeing how many of them come to our games now. And, you know, they you get texts from the parents saying, hey, you know, good job last night. Or they're, they're paying attention. You know, we try to promote them on Twitter. You know, we're tweeting out after their games, you know, that these guys did well and all that stuff. And all that little stuff just – I would encourage more high school guys to get involved with their youth programs and find ways to get the kids around the team. One of the coolest things we did this year is we, we would have a youth night. So each team had a night at one of our home games and we'd, you know, recognize them, read the kids' names off. But what the kids love the most is they'd actually go out to the field with our, with our kids for the anthem. So we got a bunch of cool pictures of the, the little eight, nine, 10 year olds and our guys on the field together. And it's just, the kids love it. And they know that they know the older guys from the camps we did and, 
you know, they come around all the games and we've seen just such a huge increase in turnout of those kids at our games um, because of it. I think it's, it's been really cool. So. And in turn, reach out to the college coaches in your area. Cause again, that's, they're going to help. And and then you're building a community from the college team on down to the youth team. Like it's one big, huge community. If you can build it that way and be amazed at how many of your high school kids end up getting an opportunity to play college athletics because they've been around the college side of it, but then it streamlines down onto the youth side of it. Oh, absolutely. One of the things I found is there's not been a single college coach I've reached out to that has told us no. You know, we, we call and we say, hey, I'm going to be in town. Can we come watch practice? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we're going to be around. Can we rent this facility? And if they can make it happen, they make it happen. You know, and I think it's important to not be afraid to have those conversations to see where it can take you. Because like you said, there's so many good resources around for everybody, but especially here in Northeast Ohio, we've just, we've just got a plethora of great, great division two, three, one, everybody around. There's so many opportunities out there to learn and get better. You just got to take advantage of them. I just had a high school kid reach out to me about podcasting. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to help this high school kid, but I, I text him right back. He got my number from somebody, and so I text him back right away. I don't know if I can help him, but, um, again, that's part of giving back too. So, Yeah, no, it's it's it, it's awesome. Anything you can do to, to pass and pay it forward, you know, I think is a good thing. You know, it makes us all better. That's everything we're doing I've taken from somebody else or gotten from one of the clinics we were at. So it's just passing it along and trying to find a way to get better every day. Thanks for your time, Aaron. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate you having me. I love shining a light on the great servant leaders we have throughout the country in the baseball community. You can make a huge impact by donating your time to your local leagues, travel, and high school organizations. Let's continue to grow the game at every level of baseball. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Jim Richardson, Zach Hale, and Matt Weston, the ABC office, for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, coachb underscore abca, Instagram, ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Set me free